J.P. and Judy Schultz. Uh, they've been in a number of different home groups, and, and I don't know about you, but every time I've heard J.P. share uh, about what God has been doing in their lives and in their family around the world, I have been completely blessed. Um, I was even convicted on, can you believe that? I was even convicted. Um, yeah, the Lord spoke to me really clearly on Thursday, and I needed that. And there was just two words, and it was, um, Lord, well, three words, Lord, I trust, period, or I trust, period. Um, and that spoke to my heart. Um, and it was actually a word of wisdom from Judy, because she was giving us a grammar lesson about where do you put the period. Lord, I trust you if you do such and such, period, or Lord, I trust, period. And the Lord said, I want you to put the period sooner in the sentence than in the end of the sentence. God has uh, used J.P. and Judy in a marvelous way. J.P., come on up. He's going to be speaking uh, and sharing what God has laid upon his heart. Uh, J.P. and Judy are headed to Indonesia with Envision, part of the Christian Missionary Alliance, uh, and we are part of the Christian Mission Alliance, even though we are Wind River Community Church. Um, and so at the end of the service, we're going to take two offerings. The first offering is our general offering, your tithes and offering, which we normally do on Sunday. And the second offering will be specifically given to J.P. and Judy to take care of needs that they have as they begin to prepare to get out there. They're going to be leaving in July. They have a little bit of more money that they need to raise. <clears throat> and if you're interested in supporting them um, on a regular basis, please contact J.P. and Judy Write down their email, get in contact with them. If the Lord lays that on your heart, especially as you're, as you're listening to what uh, he, has, he and his wife have been doing and how the Lord has been using them, and as they share with what's coming next for them, if the Lord says, I want you to do this, then if you want the blessing that God wants to give to you, be obedient. Because remember what we say here, obedience is better than sacrifice. And so God wants us to be obedient people. Now, Christ is here, and I've sensed his manifest presence. And I'm just going to pray for J.P. Uh, he's probably preached this message about 100 times already. And every day when he comes up and he speaks, he asks Lord, the Lord to make it fresh, and like it's the first time he's ever presented it. And that's what we want, right? We want that for us because that's how good God is. And so I'm going to pray for J.P. and ask God to do that for him and then ask God to open our hearts and our eyes and our minds and help us to be uh, attentive and obedient to his will. God, our Father in heaven, we thank you uh, for the promise that you said you will never leave us nor forsake us. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you're here today. And we uh, just invite you to manifest your presence among us as J.P. Uh, shares from your word. I pray that you would fall upon J.P. afresh and anew today. Fill him from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. I pray that the message he delivers to us will be like he's never delivered it before. And it will be new and fresh from you, Jesus, for us. Lord, you have something you want to share with us and something that you are going to ask of us today. And so I pray for a spirit of obedience in our congregation today. That you, by your spirit, would fall fresh and anew on all of us. You would open our eyes. You would open our hearts. You would open our minds. And you would give us spirits of obedience to follow what you're asking us to do. Bless JP, bless Judy, and bless their daughters, I pray. We open our hands to receive from you what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen.
All right, good morning. Good morning. Uh, Jonathan and I, we've known each other. Well, there's never been a time where we didn't know each other. We were babies together, grew up together, and honestly, I've tried to speak truth into Jonathan's life his whole life. So I'm glad here in 2017 that uh, he's finally fallen under conviction. So, uh, so hopefully for you guys, you'll see a change in him. Uh, but we've been, here, we've been here since Wednesday, and we've met with several groups. The one thing I didn't do was show a picture of my family and, and who we are. Uh, so I, fi- I figured out while everybody's here together, uh, I would do that. Uh, obviously, that's me, JP. People ask me all the time, what does JP stand for? It stands for John Paul. So there you go. And people say, oh, you're named after the Pope. But uh, actually, he was named after me, So, uh, which is true. And then my wife, Judy. I, I grew up in, at, at just same as Jonathan, in uh, what's called Papua, Indonesia. Uh, my parents were missionaries there for 38 years. Uh, my wife, Judy, grew up in the country of Guinea, West Africa. Her parents were missionaries there for something like 33 years. Both of us went to boarding schools. Uh, our whole lives and all of that. And then our three daughters, uh, Alexis and Stephanie, are 27-year-old twins. And uh, we first went out to the mission field in 1991. And they were 18 months old. Uh, and that was just a challenge within itself. Uh, 14 hours on one leg of an airplane with 18-month-old, um, only by God's grace. And then we went to Indonesia in 1991 in Jordana. Uh, was born out there in Indonesia. Now, uh, my wife and I, actually the last 16 years, have been serving in West Africa in different countries, most recently in the country of Mali, West Africa. Uh, And now we're moving to Indonesia. Uh, Jordana, 25 years old. I said she was 24. 25 years old, uh, got married last November uh, uh, to a wonderful godly man, and they live in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, Stephanie. 27-year-old twin is getting married in June uh, to a guy who's in medical school uh, in Blacksburg, Virginia. So after they get married, she's going to be moving up there with him. And then our daughter, Alexis, is going to be a PE teacher in the country of Suriname in, uh, at a Christian school there. Anybody ever heard of Suriname? Some of you have because we've already talked about it in the small groups. But it's, a, it's in the north of uh, South America, borders Brazil. And that's her dog, Raja. Uh, I think Tyson and Abby have a dog named Raja, right? Yeah. The Raja means king in Indonesia. And uh, he's, he's definitely the, the king of the house. This, this is our prayer card. And uh, I haven't given any out yet. But this is what I do. Uh, if the Lord puts it on your heart uh, to pray for us, uh, then come up to me afterwards and ask for a prayer card. Uh, because then that's your way of saying to us, I'm going to commit to pray for you. And it doesn't mean you have to do it every day. If the Lord puts it on your heart, once a year, whatever, um, it's your commitment to pray for us. But this is what I like to say. Oftentimes, when you see that prayer card, you pray for missionary JP, missionary Judy, and their ministry and the great things that they're doing and that God will do a marvelous thing through them. And the three in the middle don't get prayed for. I guarantee they need just as much prayer as we do. 
the devil does not like what it is that we're doing. And he's trying to do everything he can to thwart our efforts, to keep us from doing what God has called us to do. And we've seen it many a times. He goes after our kids. So our kids just need, need just as much prayer as we do. So if you get a prayer card from me afterwards, you're committing to pray for Judy and myself, and you're committing to pray for our children. Now, I say this too. If you want a picture of our family and don't want to pray for us, that's fine. Um, if you want to just enhance the looks of your refrigerator, please come and get one. Because if you put your, our picture on your fridge, it will enhance it. I had a... I was at a church a few years ago up in New York speaking, and I was telling them, if you want to come up afterwards, you know, get a card. This 82 or 83-year-old lady comes up and shuffles up to me and uh, says, I would like a card because I want to pray for you. So I give her a card, and she looks at it, and she goes, my, your daughters are beautiful. So I thanked her. I said, well, they, they take after their mother. And then she looks at me, and she goes, I don't think you're that bad myself. <laughs> so it was nice to know that at least 80-something-year-old women think I'm good-looking. But um, yeah. So that's my family. Uh, we have a lot to cover this morning. And I know, I know often in churches that at a certain hour, uh, you people think that the Holy Spirit leaves and that you'll have to follow him. Uh, so if we go long today, do know that the Holy Spirit is staying here. So... You stay here too, <laughs> so stay engaged with me. So Phoebe, if you would go to the next slide, the, the, the verses I want to use for today uh, and, and, and my theme is prepare the way. Luke 3, 4 through 6. As it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, he is a voice calling out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley will be filled and every mountain and hill will be leveled. The crooked ways will be made straight, and the rough roads will be made smooth. Everyone will see the salvation that God has provided. And what we know is, as, as it says, written in the book of Isaiah, that there was one coming to prepare the way for Christ to come as a man. And we know who that is, John the Baptist. That John the Baptist came to this earth, God brought him to this earth to prepare the way for Christ to come as a man. And John the Baptist even said, there is one coming after me that I'm not even worthy of bending down and tying his shoes. And that's the story that he had. The story of Jesus Christ coming as a man. Preparing the way for his coming. But what we realize is, that we too are here to prepare the way. But John the Baptist had one part of the story. Our story is that we have one that's coming. That he is one who has already come, died on the cross. And the story didn't end there. He was buried. The story didn't end there. He was resurrected, and then he went to heaven. And one of the things he told his disciples before going to heaven was, go and make disciples. And he says, when I go, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And then when I come back, 
I'm going to take you to be with me. We are called to prepare the way for, the, for Christ's return. And what this tells me is that we have a message to proclaim. And we know that message. I've just said it. A message of Jesus Christ who died on the cross, buried, rose again, ascended, and is coming back. And even the Apostle Paul, if I can find it, the Apostle Paul in, in Colossians uh, chapter 4, verses three, or three, 3 through 4, he says this, And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. So even the Apostle Paul realized, I have a message that I need to proclaim. But then the Apostle Paul says, pray that I may proclaim it clearly. And I've had to ponder that. Why? The Apostle Paul, I mean, he wrote all those books in the New Testament. Why does he have to ask people to pray? And this is the conclusion that I've come to. Is that this is a message. And we know this in this day and age. This is a message that is not popular. This is a message that is not well received. You go out there and you tell somebody, I'm a Christian. And immediately they assume, oh, you're against this. You're opposed to this. You're anti this. You're not for this. And that's the message they think that we have. And so somehow, to those people who think that's the kind of message that we have, we have to be able to proclaim it clearly. And the only way that can be done is for people like you in this room to pray. Pray that I may proclaim this message clearly. Now, my wife and I, we've worked in, in Muslim countries. And that's a whole different dynamic to trying to proclaim this message clearly to that group of people. I have a friend named Tafa. And he and I have gotten very, very close. And there are so many people that have talked to him of this amazing message that we have. He's a Muslim. And this is what he tells you. That's great for you. That's your way to get to heaven. I have my way to get to heaven. We're going to meet in heaven. I mean, how do you Get across to somebody that has that mentality. Pray that we may proclaim that message clearly. And then I've had to evaluate for myself that why would the Apostle Paul say something like that? And I've realized for myself that sometimes our human nature gets in the way of proclaiming this message clearly. We, we first worked in Indonesia, 1991 to 94. And we were in Papua. We were working at a school there. And we were dorm parents in this dormitory. And we had night guards. Um, the claim to fame of our night guards there is when they protected us at night, they carried bows and arrows. Uh, and so we could sleep calmly because we knew our night guards had bow and arrows. And uh, nobody dared coming into our compound because... Chances are an arrow would pierce them greatly if they tried to do that. 
On a Wednesday afternoon, one of my night guards came to me with his six-year-old daughter. She was a twin, and she was sick. And I immediately knew that she had malaria because I had had malaria many times. So I recognized it was malaria, and I knew it was serious, and I knew she needed medical attention. The problem was Wednesday evening was my night off, my family's night off. And I had to weigh to myself, am I going to give up my night off to be with my family to take this girl to get medical care? So I opted to take the night off. And I told my night guard, come back tomorrow morning, 6 o'clock, and I will take you and your daughter to the hospital. <coughs> night off, had a great time with my family, and she shows up at 6 o'clock, or he shows up at 6 o'clock in the morning with his 6-year-old twin daughter, unconscious, <coughs> moaning. Got her in that car. We drove normally a 45-minute trip. Got there in 30 minutes, and I knew it was serious because I knew malaria. Got her in the hospital. A week later, she died. And I'm pretty confident that if I would have taken her the afternoon before and she would have gotten medical attention while she was still conscious, that she would have lived. Yet she died. I have twin daughters. And I can't imagine one of my twins not growing up with her twin sister. Yet I wanted to be with my family. A selfish act. Pray for us too. Because sometimes we get in the way of that message being clear. Pray for us too. That in spite of ourselves, God, God's message will be proclaimed clearly. And because we have this message, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have a purpose. Now you guys might see the outline already. Proclaim purpose. <coughs> Not to insult your intelligence, but you know, just putting it out there. Because we have this amazing message, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, now we have a purpose in life to proclaim this message. But we have to think to ourselves, what, what does that look like? And a few years ago, when we were living in Dakar, Senegal, I really prayed through this. I said, God, if I'm to proclaim your message clearly, what does that look like for me? How am I supposed to do that? And amazingly enough, uh, he took me to a very, very well-known passage in Matthew 5, 14 through 16. Matthew 5, 14 through 16. And this is what it says. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And what the Lord was telling me was, I want you 
to be my light in this dark world. And if you are my light, then that message is going to be proclaimed clearly. But here again, sometimes, and this is human nature, sometimes we think, oh, I can be God's light, and, and we figure it out. We, we, we end up doing it in our own strength. And I picture it sometimes as, as a flashlight, where we turn that flashlight on, and it's bright, and we see where we're going, what it is that we're doing, but then those batteries start dying. And as those batteries die, the light gets dimmer and dimmer. And we do that sometimes as Christians. If we truly want to be the, Lord, the, the light of the Lord Jesus Christ in this very dark world, we have to be connected continually to a source that gives power for that light. Where I grew up in, in, in Papua or Irianjaya, we lived in a very remote place, and we had nothing. In our house, we had lights, we had outlets, we had switches, and we had a generator that ran every evening from 6 o'clock to 9 o'clock. During the day, I could go to that light switch, turn it on, there would be no lights. Why? Because there was no source that gave power for that light to shine. But then at 6 o'clock, when we'd crank that generator and it would get going, I could go turn on that switch and there would be light. All because there was a source that gave the power for that light to shine. It's the same with us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. If we are serious about wanting to be God's light to this dark world, we have to be connected. And for me, it's spending time in God's word on a regular basis. It's praying, having a relationship, a close relationship with God, Jesus Christ, being plugged in all the time. And I can only imagine, because I've seen it, and I don't know this church this well. But there's possibly those of you even in this room this morning. That you walk through those doors. You plug in. And while you're in here, the light of Jesus Christ is shining. And you're singing these amazing songs. Praising our Heavenly Father. And then you walk out those doors. And you unplug. And you live out your week. And there's people that you rub shoulders with and they have absolutely no idea that you have a light that shines. You want that message to be proclaimed clearly? You've got to be plugged in to the source, Jesus Christ, who gives the power for our light to shine. And I find it very interesting that, that Jesus says, you have that light, don't put a bowl over it. I'm thinking, what? Why would he say that? And there again, I can speak for myself that there are times where it's just not convenient for that light to shine. There are times where I don't have the courage for that light to shine. And there are times where I'm confronted with, with something and it's just easier and better in my mind for that light not to shine. 
So I cover it, put a bowl <laughs> over it. We lived in Dakar for, for 11 years. And this was in, in 2006, July 2006. Um, I bought a brand new van, a Toyota van, for our dormitory where we were working in Dakar, Senegal. Had about three miles, four miles on the thing when I bought that van. And then school started in August. And about October, one of our dorm girls on a Friday evening wanted to spend the weekend with a family on the other side of town. And so she asked me if I would be willing to take her uh, to that family. So I said I would. Now, Dakar, Senegal, like a lot of big cities around the world, traffic is just horrendous. I mean, it's chaos. So we left Friday evening right after supper. We got our, a mile into our about five or six mile journey to the other house. A mile in had taken 45 minutes. I mean, it was just chaotic. And we were, we were going on a road that had two lanes going this way, and there were two lanes going this way. And in the two lanes, there were six rows of cars, and we just weren't moving. And so I told the girl after a little bit, I said, listen, we're not going to make it. I said, we need to turn around and go back. And there was just a, a place right up ahead where you could make a U-turn to head back home. The problem was I was in the sixth row of cars, and I had to get to the first row of cars to be able to make that U-turn. So I slowly start making my way across. And I'm there in the second row of cars. We're just sitting there. And I roll down my window, and, and I motion to the gentleman in his car next to me, asking if I could get in front of him when there's a space. So he gave me the thumbs up. And after a little while, space opened up. He let me in. And before I could get all the way into that first row of cars, he accelerates and rams into the back of my van. We both pull over to the side. And I, I can guarantee you at that moment, I got out of the car and the light of Jesus Christ was not shining. I was furious. He gets out walking toward me and I just start screaming at him. I said, you tell me that, that I'm allowed in and before I can get all the way in, you're so impatient, you can't even wait, you accelerate and you ram into my brand new van that I just bought. I get back in the van, slam the door, I head back home, and I, and I tell my wife the story in the same decibels that I screamed at that guy. And then I, I sat down in my chair to try to calm down a little bit. And there, literally, there are times when I hate this, when I hate when this happens, is the Holy Spirit showed up. And I said, God, no, not right now. Can you just come tomorrow morning? Because I don't want to deal with it. But when, when the Holy Spirit shows up, he means business. And, and he said to me, JP, do you not realize that that man that ran into you, that might have been the only time in his life where he could have experienced my light. But yet you covered it at that moment. Oh, my goodness. Talk about convicting. I mean, I had to ask for forgiveness. But I'll never see that man again. Even if I did, I wouldn't recognize him. So I prayed for him. I said, God, somehow, some way, allow him 
to experience the life of Jesus Christ, to experience the light of Jesus Christ. And then Jesus says, when they see the light, they will see your good deeds. They will see my good deeds and glorify our Heavenly Father. If I would have gotten out of that van and immediately asked the man, are you okay? Is your car okay? I mean, that's against human nature. We don't do that. I mean, the guy might have been puzzled. I'm picturing this in my mind. He might have been puzzled and thought, why are you being so nice to me when I rammed into your van? And maybe I could have told him why. And maybe he would have praised our Heavenly Father. Because the light would have been uncovered. And he would have seen my good deeds. And praised our Heavenly Father. For us to be able to proclaim that message clearly as we should. It takes prayer. It takes being plugged in. To that power. The Lord Jesus Christ. Who is the source. For our light to shine. And we just as much have to pray in every situation that we're in that that light doesn't get covered. I'm convinced of this. You guys might disagree. But on the judgment day, God is going to judge by the way we drove down here. I'm just kidding. But, <laughs> but, it, might be, but it might be true. You know, I told my worker in Mali, we were driving somewhere and he got mad at a guy that cut him off. I said, this is my theory. I said, when we get to heaven, we're going to be judged by the way we drove. And he said, after that, he says, every time he went into town, he thought about that. So, so I'm glad I spoke truth into his life at that moment. <laughs> and then the very end of the passage, it says, everyone will see the salvation that God has provided. Everyone will see. In this day and age, in this day and age, there are more and more people that are gaining access to this beautiful story that we have. Because I think this promise is coming true. Through technology, through different avenues that we're able to use, more and more people are gaining access to this truth. Everyone will see the salvation that God has provided. That's a promise. And what we're seeing, what we're seeing is that there is a harvest that is ready to be brought in. We're seeing it all over the world. And I can imagine, I can imagine in this area here, there's a harvest that is ready to be brought in. And Jesus even says that. Look out. The harvest is plentiful. But the workers are few. And he doesn't immediately say, now go. What does he say? Pray that the Lord of the harvest will send out workers. Jonathan and April, four years ago, four years ago, left Bandung, right? They wanted people to replace what they were doing there. Because what they recognized 
was that there is a harvest in Bandung that's ready to be brought in. And they were leaving because God was leading them out of there. And what did they do? Is they prayed. They thought of Judy and myself. And so they prayed, Lord, this harvest is ready to be brought in. You need to send workers back here. And we're thinking of J.P. and Judy Schultz. And sure enough, four years later, their prayer is being answered. That Judy and myself, we are the workers that are going there to help to bring that harvest in. And I'll do this quickly. Phoebe, if you'll go to the next picture. Judy and myself are going to Bandung, Indonesia, where that red arrow is there. I think that's red. Is that red, Jude? Yeah. Okay, that red arrow. We're going to Bandung, Indonesia as workers to be a part of bringing the harvest in. And what is it that we'll be doing? Phoebe, you still awake? There you go. We're going, with the we're going with Envision of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. Going to Indonesia. And there it says coming soon. We, are, we land there on July 5th. So when we land on July 5th, we're going to take off the coming soon. We're going to be Envision of the CMA Indonesia. This is what Envision is, and I've, I've explained it to, to several groups already. Is we have this highway of missions, interstate of missions. My mom and dad, 38 years plus, have been on this highway. Judy's parents have been on this highway. Jonathan and April, they've been on this highway of missions. My wife and I, we've been on this highway of missions. And what we're wanting to do is we're wanting to get people to come alongside of us, to take our places, because we're going to move on. And so what we are doing is we're getting people on the on-ramp that leads to that highway of missions. And what type of people are we looking at to get on this on-ramp? We're looking at young people, college-age kids, to come out and do internships with us, whether it's a semester abroad or whether their classes while they're in college, they have to fulfill an internship requirement. Then they can come out anywhere from a few weeks up to two years. And they'll, they'll be with us out there and we'll be discipling them, enculturating them, helping them learn the language, and getting them plugged into ministries, all while they're on the on-ramp. So that at some point, they get so excited about this, they've hit 70 miles an hour on this interstate of missions. Helping bring the harvest in. And this is where we're going to be living. Next one, Phoebe. I don't know if this will make the Ackmans homesick or not, but uh, you see that circled part up there? That's where they lived for three years, right? Four years, three, four years. So that's where we will be living. This compound used to be a missionary kid's school for a long time. And then uh, just a few years ago, uh, they pulled out of there and moved to the other side of town. And so this is where Jonathan and April lived, and, and we're doing a great ministry there. So my wife and I will be living upstairs there. And then all these other, what used to be dorm rooms in this dormitory, uh, are where we're going to have the interns living or people visiting or even short-term teams. Like 
a group from this church coming out, helping us for two weeks, three weeks, whatever, whether it's construction, um, helping doing this or that, whatever, we'll be staying there. And then my wife and I will be the ones hosting you and taking people out into different kind of ministries. Next one, Phoebe. And then on the other side of the compound, right past the dormitories, are what used to be the school buildings. And we can use all of this for ministry purposes. I mean, we have this little court. Sports. An amazing way to attract people to the gospel. And when Ekmans were there, they started a little soccer program on this little court right here. And then it got so big to where, next slide, to where now, this is what it looks like on a different part of town, called Football Plus. We went there to visit in November just to check it out. Every afternoon, a couple hundred kids are coming there to learn soccer. All the coaches are Christians. And these kids think they're coming in there to learn soccer. What the coaches know is they're also going to teach them about Jesus Christ. I mean, what an amazing opportunity for, for an intern to come as a soccer coach and be a part of this. There's an Indonesian soccer coach. He started as a kid going to the compound, learning soccer. And while he was in that, made a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. And now he's a coach reaching these kids for the Lord. So we're going to be a part of that. Next. This guy here, he's already an intern out there. So he's going to be part of what we're doing. And he's one of the coaches for that soccer program. He's getting married this summer, and he and his wife are going to be there next year, part of the internship program, on the ramp. And for sure, they're going to end up on the interstate. Next. We have ideas. We have visions. Wondering how God is leading in all of this. When we were in Mali, one of our main ministries there was teaching English to the Malians. What an amazing platform to bring people to hear about the gospel. Teach them English because everybody wants to learn English. So we're thinking we have all these classrooms. What an amazing opportunity to have Indonesians come in and learn English and sit in a classroom like this. And we use that as opportunities to tell them about Jesus Christ. That's a vision we have. Next. I believe God is telling me, and we'll see if it works out, is working with university students, Christians, Christian university students, and doing Bible studies with them and getting them into God's Word. Because when you get into God's Word, you're plugged in. And when you're plugged in, your light is going to shine. So if we can get these Christian university students deep into God's Word, and they leave our compound, and that light shines, they can go back to their campus, their neighborhoods, their community, and see people starting to glorify our Heavenly Father. So I'm really praying that this gets off the ground. Next. So that's what we'll be doing. 
It's going to be an amazing ministry. Pray for us too. That we may proclaim this message clearly. We need prayer. So if you come and get a prayer card afterwards, you're committing. And these are some prayer requests. My wife and I, we leave on July 3rd. My parents are in their late, mid to late 80s. Every time we go back overseas now, we wonder, is this the last time we're going to say goodbye to them? Is this the last time we're going to see them here on this earth? We leave July 3rd. And to say goodbye to aging parents is very, very difficult. So if you think about it on July 3rd, pray for us. We're leaving adult children, our children, leaving them here, getting on that airplane. It is difficult, painstakingly difficult. That when people pray, God is going to take care of us. So if you think about it, July 3rd, pray for Judy and myself as we hop on that plane. We have what, about six weeks left. Pray as we finish our home assignment and get ready to go to Indonesia. Pray as we network with churches and colleges to recruit interns. Because that's what we're wanting out there. And so we're working hard on this side of the ocean, uh, just trying to get everything ready, people interested. Groups like you, we want you guys to come out and be a part of this. Pray for the ministries we want to start when we arrive in Indonesia. I just gave you a couple examples. And then Jonathan mentioned this a little bit. Um, normally with the Christian Missionary Alliance, uh, we don't have to directly, personally raise support. Uh, usually the, the Alliance churches, they, they give to the missions pot. And that, that's, how we get ta- that's how we're taken care of financially. But now that we're joining Envision, uh, we're required to, to raise our support. And so this is the first time we've done that. We've been 26 years as, as uh, missionaries with Christian Missionary Alliance. And uh, God has been amazing. We started in January, and here we are, middle of May, and we've, we've raised just a little over 84% already. Uh, I mean, there are people that two or three years, they're raising support before they get to 100%. And we're here in about three and a half months, four months, at 84% already. So pray for us uh, as, far as, as far as that, that God, God will meet our needs. And if you, if you take one of our pictures on the back, it just gives a little instruction on how, how you can give online if the Lord leads you that way. Next. Because this is what we do. In preparing the way for Christ's return, We know he's coming back. That is clear. He has promised us that. And he's asking us to prepare the way. And in preparing the way, we're giving people access to this beautiful truth that we have. Pray that we may proclaim this message clearly. That our light will shine brightly as we're always connected to Jesus Christ. And that we don't cover that light with a bowl. And that we recognize that there's a harvest ready. Ready to be brought in. Even here in Lander. This is not about going overseas. About being a missionary. 
This is about where you're at right here. Because every day you're rubbing shoulders with people who are living in darkness. Are you keeping that light covered to where they have absolutely no idea that you have this amazing story of Jesus Christ? I don't think I've ever done this before in speaking. And I've spoken a lot of times. I've just uh, been praying through this this morning. And whether anything comes out of it, 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 you know, it's fine. But there might be some that this morning are hearing God's voice and are saying to you, the way you live your life, you're not allowing this message to be proclaimed clearly. The way you're living your life, you're not plugged in. You're keeping that bolt covered. And you're not even recognizing that there is a harvest that is ready to be brought in. So I'm thinking that if God is talking to you directly, then there needs to be a commitment made right now. Don't try to, take it, don't try to tell the God, no, God, not right now. Wait till tomorrow morning. Because tomorrow morning you'll be at work, you won't even think about it. So if God is talking to you, and you wanting to commit, then I would ask you to, to stand where you're at. And then I'm going to go sit down, and Jonathan's going to come up here and, and, uh, and pray for you. If nobody stands up, then we finish the way we finished. So maybe 30 seconds. God is speaking to you, then make that commitment. So the worship team is coming now. And if you sense the Lord speaking to you, we're not trying to embarrass anybody. I know this is probably the first time JP has ever done that. Um, so if you sense that God has said, hey, I got your number. I'm wanting some change in your life. Just stand up right where you are. And let me pray for you. Um, 